Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Manchester United have produced the impossible. Welcome to United Hour, your official Red Cafe podcast for all things Manchester United. I'm your host this week, Nick. I'm Colm. I'm Imran. And I'm Ben. Yeah, welcome here to Ben. First time guest of the show here for anyone from Red Cafe. He's Roland of uh, Gilead. Um, but yeah, Ben, you're joining us over here after the game of the season. Huh? How lucky you are. <laughs> Nil-nil cracker against uh, Leeds United. Um, I'm sure, yeah, you were riveted all through that match, right? I seem to have the worst luck in the world. The first time I ever went on a sports radio show, I drew a game between Southampton and Fulham, which was the most dire game of football. And I had nothing to say throughout the entirety of the show. And now I've come on after United Leeds and good Lord, what an awful game of football that was. Yeah, look, we will get into that. But thankfully, we've got a whole load of other topics to talk about this week, because obviously last week's pod was very focused on everything about European Super League. And there's been a whole load of um, things going on around that. And then still things, Ed Woodward has resigned. We've had protests. So yeah, plenty, plenty to talk about. But yeah, we will still obviously go through what happened in the match today. Uh, 18 years since we've last played at Ellen Road. Uh, as a Yorkshireman, uh, Imran, you've probably been wait, waiting for this one to come round, haven't you? Yeah, you know, out of all the games this season for missing fans, even more so than like Liverpool yeah. or City, it's like this is the one where yeah. I think fans would have made a massive difference to the game. Um, I know like a, a lot of my friends spot leads and seeing them this morning, they're really up for the game. And just if we were actually at the stadium, we had fans there, it would have been a great atmosphere. And you, this is the one game that I really thought missed out on fans and I don't, I don't think that game would have gone like it had today without fans I don't think Leeds would have played like that if they had fans in there I don't think they would have let them um so yeah it's a shame uh, but I was really excited for this and then this game managed to just punch that excitement out of me minute by minute <laughs> until I was on the floor <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was actually so awful. Oh, no, awful was, again, we've had worse. It was dreadful. I thought we've we've had it. Look, obviously, it was not like a high quality game, but we have had worse this season in terms of just boring. Uh, you know, it was at least like relatively open. But yeah, there was a lack of quality. There was not many like clear chances created at all. Uh, you know, I always like to look at the xG, and that suggests that we should have shaded it possibly one nil xG one point oh five versus zero point three for leads in our favour, but. Yeah, look, obviously there was not a whole load of quality on show. Nil-nil. I don't know if it's like, are we already thinking about the Europa League? Are Leeds kind of in this mid-table now, safe, probably not really challenging for Europe? Are these these kind of of end-of-season games that we get sometimes calm? Definitely it had the feel of a training game. It had the feel of a behind-closed-doors game um, that was sadly televised. But... It should still matter. You know, second isn't, like, I, I think it is a lock probably at this stage, but it, it still shouldn't matter. And it is Leeds, which is a big fixture in of itself. Although I do think recently Leeds have just been playing like this a bit. It was certainly very much how it was against Liverpool. And they've kind of dialed back slightly from that swashbuckling style that has um, treated them so well throughout the season. 
to a much more kind of compact and still just so energetic team. And I think that's it. I mean, particularly when you're naming Dan James and you're starting 11, you're valuing industry over quality. And when you get that, you know, you can have very little complaint, really, to be honest. And yeah, this, you know, the second half got a wee bit punchy, got a wee bit kind of a few challenges, um, a lot of shouts from the benches and stuff like that. And, and again, if, if fans had a bit in, I think that could have kind of sparked an ignition in this match and it just never really got there but the lack of final third quality really was disappointing and it also kind of highlighted to me not just as a direct comparison to Dan James but when Pogba isn't in our team and teams can successfully shackle Bruno like um, they were able to do today we we do lack that creativity you know and we do lack that other contributor to actually put something on a plate for Rashford or Greenwood and actually create those chances for us so it just made me think that's something I really hope we um, seek to rectify in the summer window, whether that's Jin Sancho or whoever else. Yeah, that probably was the main bitter surprise in the kind of starting lineup uh, that Dan James started with Pogba on the bench. Although, yeah, I know Imran, you said you didn't think it was a surprise because this was more or less the team that started and thrashed Leeds like around Christmas time. Uh, the only change mm. from that day was today we had Greenwood up front rather than Martial and now Henderson's obviously first choice keeper ahead of De Gea. Um, but I know you have been shouting for James to be hauled off from about the half an hour mark, right? I just, I feel like Ollie was setting up this game for the leads that came to Old Trafford and not the leads that we've seen in the last few weeks. Like Colm said, they've been pretty deep the last few weeks. Um, obviously, City, the game, they were had to be because they had 10 men, but even the Liverpool game, I think they've only conceded one goal for their, in their last like four or five games because they've just been sat deep. And I, I could see that coming in. And I just didn't see what James was going to be able to do against that sort of team. James obviously much better when he has a lot to run a lot of space to run into and Leeds were never going to give us that space today. So I just it seemed like a bit of a pointless pick and kind of turned out It's it's a pick I think with a with a nod towards Thursday as well at the end of the day, which is you know, it's to give Pogba the rest, but then you're still gonna run Rashford, who was an injury doubt, and Bruno into the ground as well. I mean they never get minutes, you know, but it it did just look he he kinda has this weird um penchant for playing players in meaningful fixtures as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, we all kind of know, oh, James was kind of maybe meant to go to Leeds and now he's going to play against them twice in the season and he probably hasn't had a start outside of that other than that one little run. You know, he kind of likes those little, I think Ole believes in those kind of storylines within He's football. all about narrative. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a thing. Like, we know it's a thing. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know what you think, Ben, but I find it, James infuriates me as a Manchester United player because he does have natural gifts and he does give you a tactical option in terms of his industry. But also, and this was typified by his inability to hit a shot on the first time when it couldn't have been more laid on or played on, he lacks, I think, the belief and confidence in his own quality to actually be a Manchester United player. And I cannot accept that. I don't know if you are a bit more forgiven towards him, but I... It's almost like kicking a puppy. I feel bad that I have these feelings toward him, but he does frustrate me a lot. I think with Dan James, people forget that he was originally one of those signings that was a project signing. We knew he had the talent or we knew he had the potential, but ultimately he was raw around the edges. He got off to a great start where he was forced into starting games at the start of last season where ordinarily he probably wouldn't have got the game time and I I think it was a long-term project then he he was in and out of the side for a long time his inconsistencies were brought to the surface a little bit which you expect with a young raw player I I think he would fit into the United lineup if they were to line up in the old Fergie way similar to a 4-4-2 which I know is outdated but the idea being that fast wingers on either side who can fill in the transitions and help the fullbacks I think it would suit him as a a more natural position whereas he tends to get drifted from the left to the right very central and 
it's just not suiting him. And I, I think somebody needs to work one-on-one with him, potentially even alone uh, to another Premier League yeah. side next season. Well, I just... I think that's exactly it because I think he skipped a club essentially. I don't know that he ever actually reached United as a club, but I think he should have went to Leeds. That's that's what I kind of think. You know, mm-hmm. I think we've taken a step of his development away from, and now he's in a position where he's under such scrutiny. United gets relatively little game time and has the pressure to deliver in that, and never having actually achieved the kind of base level of confidence that he needs to actually think himself that he can perform at this level. So I do think it's a bit of a disservice to him as well, but it frustrates the life out of me because. Like there's there's just good chances and good moments that he is just wasting through his own kind of playing within himself, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I actually like think that he's quite a good squad player, and I'm quite happy for him. To, and I'm sure he's a player who's happy enough to come in from the bench. Like not everybody needs to be a first team starter. Um, and earlier in the season, I was unsure even if he was good enough to be a squad player because he started the season really badly. Then it was that Leeds game that he came in and I remember it was a surprise at the time. And then he went on a relatively good run for like a month or so. Mm. And then he's had a bit of injury and then been not been in the team much and then appears again today. But yeah, he was pretty frustrating today, so I can understand that. Um, but I, I can't, I'm not sure if we'll see him go on loan. I think now he'll play his part when he needs to. Uh, you know, our bench is looking pretty strong wrong again today uh if only we used it wow (laughs) we'll we'll get on to that as well for sure Um, but yeah as i said i wasn't as disappointed as maybe some other people were i thought it was like kind of a feisty game pretty open-ish just lacked that quality both sides uh in the kind of final third to really make the chance and i did think as well Leeds were doing that thing where whenever we had any kind of flow they were just taking a foul and you know we had a lot of free kicks around their areas uh, and you know people often talk about how Guardiola always says he learned a lot from Bielsa and I always see City teams play that dark arts of just the right time to foul the other team to stop their flow and it's exactly what you see Leeds doing us today every time we got anywhere near and around their box to have a chance uh, you know they were just fouling us we had so many free kicks around their area and there was only probably one from Rashford that was of any decent kind of effort at all um but yeah there was question marks over the creativity um you know calvin phillips was pretty clearly like told to just mark bruno today and then when pogba's not in the team it's like where is the creativity going to come from i mean yeah ben i'd be interested to hear your opinion because it's a constant talking point all season about when some of our fans are not happy when they see our mcfred kind of midfield lining up because you know we know that it's really good hard working but does lack on the more like creative side of it it's a tough one isn't it fred for me isn't a united quality player i didn't think so when we bought him at shakta danessa i'd watched a lot of him at shakta and i thought to myself at the time his biggest skill set was the range of passing that he had in the ukrainian league and the champions league he tends to have a lot more time on the ball and he had a lot more space to be able to pick those passes up and play uh, in behind uh, he stepped into the Premier League and he was off the pace and I don't think it was his fault. I think he's used to having that much time and space and he couldn't quite uh, be able to work it out. And then he went on a run where he was fairly consistent. But we talk about improvements in that that midfield. We talk about his goal that he scored the other week. Ultimately, he was awful in that game. The only thing he scored was a tap-in within the six-yard box, which, to be fair, he followed in and did well. But he was dreadful in that game, in that midfield. Leaving gaps everywhere, misplaced passes, not tracking his man, being the wrong side of tackles, not being able to mark. And you're talking, and when I say misplaced passes, you're talking basic five, ten-yard passes that a professional footballer from Brazil can't get right. Um, 
I, he may be suffering, in my opinion, the same way Daniel James is in terms of confidence and things like that. I, I'm sure he's a great lad and he is a good player. For me, he hasn't done enough. And in that midfield for United, we struggle. When they put players behind the ball, like Leeds did today, and they restrict that space in midfield, we don't create the space. We don't, we're not quick enough on those transitions. We're not spreading the ball left and right. We are putting our, our feet on the ball. We're turning around. We're going back to the centre half and in turn back to the goalkeeper. I've seen it on two occasions today. We're at the edge of our, our, our Leeds' 18-yard box and four passes later, Dean Henderson had the ball at the edge of his 18-yard box. That tells me the midfield's not creative enough. Yeah, that is a constant problem. And I know a lot of people were calling for Pogba to come in from the bench. I mean, I actually, personally, I think that's a bit harsh on Fred. I'm quite a fan of Fred. Uh, I mean, I know for sure he's obviously lacking and the creative side. He's not the best passer. You know, he tends to keep things simple and that's the best thing for him. But I just, yeah, think his energy and, you know, breaking down the other team intensity is something we need uh, to give the other players who are the creative players the space to do their thing. I like good Fred, but I can't stand bad Fred. <laughs> yeah. I, I just yeah. can't stand bad Fred. He is. He's like, a two fierce character. Yeah, to be bang on. It, like today, like, I, there was a there was a period today where he won the ball, lost it immediately, then went and won it, then lost it, and literally like three times in a row. And he's like that. That what that basically summed up this entire game. Really, just zero quality, lots of industry, and just rubbish. Uh, I don't know how you saw this was a good game, Nick. What I will say about <laughs> this game, say a- what, what I will say about this game is it wasn't boring because I was looking at thing aghast by how terrible like the technical ability on show was. Like a lot of our games, I've just like my eyes have glazed over because it's just a bit boring and mundane. But this game, I was genuinely shocked by some of the just outrageously bad football. <laughs> yeah, no, just to clarify, I didn't think it was a good game. Yeah, I just, I know you'd put out there saying it's like our worst game of the season. I said, look, we've had way more boring games than this this season. Uh, you know, there was at least open, there was both teams kind of making some, you know, it was, a, it was like quite an evenish game in possession. We created the better chances, I thought. Uh, as I said, like, you know, according to the stats, we could have at least nicked it. But yeah, look, there was the, the, a definite lack in quality and Leeds were missing uh, Rafinha and you could see it was a big difference for them because they had like Costa playing who like barely had a few touches in the game I saw something at one point I think we were about an hour in and you know he touched the ball like 10 times um then you know they were struggling to get Bamford in as well so yeah they had very very little it's just yeah we didn't really create enough uh to be saying that we deserve those three points uh just while we stick on the kind of midfielders then uh okay Fred's getting some uh (laughs) criticism over here and yeah a lot of fans are saying they think that we need to improve in the central midfield defensive midfield particularly uh, Damien Rice is a name that keeps coming up. Damien Rice. Kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Irish singer-songwriter. Declan Rice, even. <laughs> Declan Rice. Um, but yeah, the kind of uh, B, B option after Declan Rice is probably Calvin Phillips, right? And he's no. playing over here today. No. Well, the hell, uh, yeah, I'm just interested in opinions because, yeah, no. he's played against us today. He's been playing... Getting some chances for England, he plays in that position. But what, Colm, You're like, no, no, absolutely not. No, no, not absolutely the quality. He's a good player. There was talk of us banning him last year, possibly. Um, but I think now we should all understand that that is not the type of player we need. It's what we essentially already have in McTominay. They are extremely similar players. He's not really a completely set in. I know he did an absolute job on Bruno today, but that's really not his game. I don't think. Um, I think we need a a ball-playing defensive midfielder, essentially, someone to dictate things for us. Um, and the focus should absolutely be on the quality of their play with the ball at their feet as opposed to 
how much like Kante they are or something else that we think we need. Um, you know, Ole, I think, has now established a pretty good way of playing with certain kind of core themes, but we are actually starting to control games pretty well. Um, but we're just not expansive enough within that. And I think a player, you know, I don't think it's Paul, but I actually think now he looks more of a left winger than he does a six. But I think we need a player, whether it's a Tenali, some, a Carrick, someone in that mould who can just really pull the strings of that midfield. And I think that's what we miss because Fred keeps a good tempo, but he's, he is he is kind of scatterbrained. You know, he's all over the place a wee bit. And um, McTominay, I think, does great things for you, but he is your archetypal box-to-box, you know, and I don't think he's going to sit and control it. Certainly, I don't think his passing range and his feet are good enough to do that. So I do think that is a, a big need for us, but I don't, I don't necessarily want to see us just by this destroyer, you know, that I think will still be limited then on the ball because there's not enough other good players around to kind of fill that gap unless you do get a Sancho combining with a, a Bruno and keeping Pogba then possibly yes you have enough quality but at the moment I still just think there's a lack of good passers in that team to so the what I like to call the football fan quandary whenever for me whenever fans of any club are looking at transfer markets and transfer windows coming forward they're very likely usually to always go for the attacking options the, all the attackers, the exciting players, your Harlands, your Sanchos, the, the Canes, the, the players that put the ball in the net and they, you know, they make you go gasp in the crowd. Everybody forgets the, the industrious, hardworking, lower midfielder, defensive midfielders that make the game tick, so to speak. For example, I mean, Michael Carrick, you mentioned there, Colm, I think he was probably the most underrated player United ever had, in my opinion. And I think I, I'm probably never going to be invited back on this podcast again after <laughs> saying what I'm about to say. But I think we should be looking at a Jordan Henderson type player, not Jordan Henderson, incidentally, but somebody with that mindset, you know, the leadership skills, as Colm just says, somebody to just calm the midfield down and get us on the front foot moving forward that way. I mean, you want to find the Fernandinho or someone like, I know we're just not yeah. comparing ourselves to all our rivals, best players, so it's always a great look, <laughs> to be honest. But, you know, you, you want that person who gives you a bit of both. People talk about Basuma, and I, I'm a big fan of his. I'm just concerned that the Declan Rice's, the Basumas, don't, you know... It, it, in many ways, I think those players can look like the great player at Brighton or at West Ham because there's maybe not the same onus on them because they don't have the ball 60-70% of the game and therefore a lot of the things that we get highlighted in a Manchester United jersey will never be highlighted at the, t- at the level they're playing, that kind of thing. And I, that would be my slight concern. I mean, Jimmy Garner, for me, is making making a strong case and should be hopefully bedded in, but it, it is a key area and it's a key area to get right, but it'll be interesting to see it, what, what way it checks out, Nick. Yeah, definitely. And similar to you, Colm, you know, I know terms like Basuma and whatever, but yeah, I would question like, are they any better than what we've already got? Uh, you know, they do look like decent quality players. Uh, but yeah, I I think I like McTominay, I like Fred, but yeah, we do know what we lack. And if we could find that Carrick, then yeah, obviously that would be absolutely ideal. But who is it in the modern game? I don't know. Maybe maybe it is uh, Declan Rice and he's just, yeah, a couple of years off hitting his kind of peak and things like that. We shall see. Um, but yeah, not a lot of talking points, like we said, from this game. I mean, moving on to the kind of second half. I mean, as I said, Imran, I know from the half time you were begging for substitution straight away. Whereas I was still saying, look, like we're doing all right. We look the more likely to score. I did not expect Ole to change anything uh, ASAP, but you you thought we needed to change it up like straight away, right? I just thought Pogba would be useful for this game because of their man marking. And if you want someone to roll a man, it's Paul Pogba. And plus with their man marking, Pogba likes to drag, often drags two players into him to get the ball off him. And at which point then obviously they're going to leave someone free for his pass. Often he loses the ball that way, true. But 
Like I'm just thinking of ways to counter it, and Pogba would be your man really to hold off their their defender who's on him and play the ball and get just to also take the pressure off Bruno to just create because he was really the only person looking to create today and he didn't wasn't having a great game. So I really just thought Pogba should have come on way earlier than he did. And the fact that he's coming on 75 minutes, what, you take five minutes to get up to speed with the game, 10, and then what 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 chance have you got then? It's asking a lot for Pogba to influence the game with 15 minutes. And then what, Cavani gets five? I just thought, I mean, I get that we have got Roma in four days, but I mean, if you bring this one on for 15 minutes, what's the difference with 30 minutes? Like, I don't think it's... A big deal, really. Um, so it was just frustrating. I thought Ollie really could have changed this game and gone for the win. I just feel like we weren't really, we were really bothered about the winning today. And I don't know that's what it kind of the impression that I got from it anyway. I think there is a bit of that to it. I mean, that you know, you're it wasn't a must win the way that everything's gone now, where we're at, sat in second place. It did have that kind of feel about it. Uh, I mean, yeah, Ben, you think. Oh, I mean, Ole is always one who does delay subs when people are begging for it. As I say, you know, we have a thread on Red Cafe, make a working sub, Ole, please thread, basically. And yeah, it is a constant theme. Uh, like I said, I didn't expect it any time before 60 minutes, but yeah, it could have come a little bit earlier today. I think as soon as Ole put the side out to play Leicester in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, we knew that the Europa League was the priority when that that team was named so today i wasn't expecting much i wasn't expecting the early substitutions because as you say ollie's got this reputation of leaving it later and later when we're trying to chase a game and and he just delays these subs which there must be a reason for i'm not going to try and second guess him because he must be under so much pressure being the manager of manchester united that ultimately i I can't really see i can't really see why he delays the, the changes but I don't think it was a must-win today, as far as Ollie was concerned. I think all attention is on Thursday night. He hates subs. That's why he hates subs. Yeah, <laughs> he, hates he, he hates subs. He he was a perennial sub, and he, it's 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 cut him deeply yeah. to his core. And now he won't give anyone else the chance. There's certainly an irony but, in that. Yeah, there is definitely. I also think you know when we play away from home, there's a pretty well established script at this point, and Leeds really didn't come come to the party and score a goal. Do you know what I mean? If True. Leeds had to score that goal at yeah. any point, we would yeah. have obviously launched into action, as as is our trigger in, in these away performances. So, you know, we can talk about Manchester United all day long here, but Leeds were super negative. Man marking, lots of industry. They didn't threaten Dean Henderson's goal remotely, I thought. Um, and, you know, it takes two to tango. I, I agree with that. It is worth saying that they haven't lost, they've drawn every single game against the top six this season at home, Leeds. Yeah. But then yeah. again, the top six this season have been up and down and a bit shit. So it's, I don't yeah. know. Well, how that's the, that's that the classic is. top six, if you know yeah. what I mean. It's not the factual top yeah, six as it currently true. stands, but yes. They're uh, the Super League top six. <laughs> exactly. The Super League teams have, have not taken more than a point at Ellen Road. <laughs> One thing is that Aaron Wampasak had a really good game and I often give him stick. So I yeah, should say that he had decent. a very good yeah. game. He, and that's a few good games in a row, to be fair, from him, where he's actually looked pretty positive. A few good dribbles, still a lot of gangly, uncoordinated mess, messiness, but yeah, a few very good games. And Dean Henderson wore his cap again. Yeah, he wore it better today as well. That's it, was, it, was, it suited the kit better. It wasn't red. <laughs> Except for the, can anybody explain the orange socks, though? That went with the the kit. I mean, they, they distracted me for the first ten minutes of the game. To be honest with I you, I can't say I noticed them, but now I'd, uh, I've given up our kits. To be honest, all right, yeah. Look, Wan Bissaka, I think he's you know benefiting from having that rest. As we said, it's the first time we actually had a kind of midweek off all season, and yeah, we all thought it was going to be a quiet week and everybody could have a rest, but it was anything but. With all sorts of craziness off the pitch, uh, you know, anyone who listened to the last podcast, the big focus was, of course, everything about the Europa League. 
and we'd recorded that last Monday. And even by the time the last podcast went out, the whole Super League thing was already falling apart. Um, but yeah, look, let's just kind of refresh the kind of things that have happened since we last recorded. Uh, you know, we recorded last Monday. It was like literally that day and later on that it started hearing that teams were pulling out, the English clubs out first. Everybody's now unsure where it leaves the whole Super League idea. Uh, it's definitely not dead in the water. Uh, you especially hear noises coming out of Spain and Italy where they still want this kind of thing to be revived. We've then seen a whole load of protests going on at all different clubs, you know, Arsenal, Tottenham, obviously United as well. We had quite about a few thousand showed up at Old Trafford yesterday, which is actually more than I expected and quite an impressive turnout um but yeah i mean I, i'm actually interested ben like just to ask you because i know obviously you're a manchester united fan but also i know you have another club uh weymouth who are non-league so why don't you just tell us a bit about them well uh, weymouth themselves are in the national league uh we've just had back-to-back promotions from the southern league then the national south up to the national league and we are committed ironically committed to living within our means following various businessmen and property developers and various other things that very very nearly made us extinguished um so we've worked hard we've got a board of directors now that live within our means we've just posted back to about twenty thousand pound profits in this environment which is impressive for a non-league side uh and it was really interesting for me from a weymouth point of view watching this super league thing develop um it's the sunday you guys recorded on the monday and the news was coming in day by day by day uh it's it's I've got the United connections because I was brought up as a, as a United fan, but to watch it from the National League point of view and being involved and working in non-league and working in football, it was baffling to me. The whole thing disgusted me from the start to the beginning. And my point is this. I said this to Colm before we started recording. I want to see the football fans of this country stop patting themselves on the back and thinking that we've won because this isn't over. This is nowhere near over. Perez is already making these... Uh, noises saying that the clubs involved, including United, have signed a binding contract. So he's going to keep fighting this. And we know full well that Barcelona and Real Madrid's finances are in such a dire state that they are going to, they need this. It's not a case of wanting it. It's not a case of the good of football, as Perez likes to put it across. They need it. They, they will go into serious, serious trouble without it. So they're not going to stop fighting. We've still got the Glaciers are still at United. I know the protests and things are going on, but the Glaciers are still there. They're still the American owners. They still come from this background of no relegation and things like that. Franchise teams. Cronkie at Arsenal is exactly the same, both of which are involved in the NFL. Other owners throughout the world of football want this to happen. And it is about greed and it is about destroying the culture and, and things like that. But this isn't going anywhere. This isn't going. How long was it before we heard about uh, the potential of a British Super League after the European Super League was supposedly dead? How long was it until the British Super League was muted? Yeah, it was only like all part of those conversations next day talking about, you know, again, conversations that go back decades of Rangers and Celtic coming in, which I personally can't see. Uh, But yeah, what did you think about all that calm? Well, I'm just amazed that Ben doesn't think that the heartfelt letters of apology from the various owners <laughs> were apparently mistruths. I, I don't understand. I mean, each one was penned, I'm sure, um, in the blood of workers. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, I absolutely agree, to be honest. I just wonder, Ben, you know, there was a lot of rhetoric that came in. Obviously, we're all appalled by the uh, lack of relegation promotion and how that trickles down. We're also... I think um, United that we can't understand how a 
group of super owners could in any way effectually run a run a kind of competition like that i mean it's just clearly always in their own interest to keep it as a closed shop but the kind of trickle down effect on the football pyramid is something like this i'd never really heard of the phrase the football pyramid before this week to be honest now it's like etched into my brain essentially (laughs) and like i was kind of obviously aware of what it was i just haven't heard it described by so many people Um, and i was kind of wondering you know how much does that group of 12 getting so much money and versus the current system that you know really isn't a kick in the arse off it but how does that affect the not just you know the other premier league teams the championship teams and the whole way down the football pyramid because on the one side Perez is telling me this is for the good of the football pyramid and i intrinsically believe that has to be a lie and i'm sure it is it absolutely is um the football pyramid, the premier league and their clubs they're committed to spending trickle down economics down into the lower league so i know for example the national league got a certain amount from the premier league at the start of each season it's not a great deal in the scheme of things but it is enough just to keep the money in the game and to try the grassroots uh, to help the grassroots out, I should say. Um, What gets me, here's here's the thing. If you were to take the the European Super League and you were to take away the Premier League money, those teams, if you look, for example, at Bury, um, I know that they're close to to Manchester and things, but you see what's happened to them. You see what's happened in the past to Darlington. You see what happened when in 2005 when FC United were formed. You look at, I mean, Dover couldn't complete the season this year. Macclesfield are going bust. There is money trickling down from the Premier League from the top of the pyramid, but it's not enough at the moment. And that was it being threatened to be taken away. Hence why, in my opinion, the Super League owners were saying, well, actually, no, we'll give you more money and more money. But I couldn't figure out where it was coming from if it wasn't from JP Morgan. Mm. And in my opinion, American banks don't tend to give a lot for free. So the way I was looking at it was it was going to be disastrous for anything below the top six of the Premier League. Mm. Uh, And I do mean seven place down. It, It was going to be disastrous for everybody. And as I say, this isn't over yet. And we we have to keep fighting. Um, for me, I, I look at it this way. Okay, right, so we've allegedly defeated this European Super League, but we've still got UEFA, we've still got FIFA, and we've still got the Premier League. All three of them want to exploit the football fans. Make no mistake about it. They're just as bad. It's just they're not quite as bad as these 12. Yeah. So while we're still buying the replica shirts, while we're still paying the Sky subscriptions, which aren't going to come down, the shirts aren't going to come down, the ticket prices aren't going to come down, what have we actually won? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, you know, and I said this myself that, yeah, this is not going to go away. This was just kind of a first stab that was very badly organized, very badly presented why people walked away from it. But they are going to be back with some other proposal. I think, you know, reading between things that are going on where Perez and whatever come out saying, look, we want to help the actual pyramid, is that they're basically trying to say that, look, at the moment, the likes of UEFA and FIFA take big cuts of all like TV money and everything. They're saying we're going to cut them out of it and that should be more money for football in general. How that's going to work and all the detail of it is where, you know, we need to see to be convinced of it. Because, yeah, you know, pie in the sky kind of notions coming from someone like Fiorentina Perez are very difficult to believe. And, you know, we talked last week, Com, about the kind of guys involved in this. You don't see them as kind of benevolent, ready to do things for the good of football. But at the same time, as we all said, neither are UEFA or FIFA like, you know, some saviors of football either. Uh, So, yeah, there is definitely going to be new proposals coming in. We have to see what they talk about. Um, but yeah, the one good thing is that for now, it's been put on the back burner that the 
our club and the other English clubs at least have kind of walked away from it, but I would say temporarily. Um, and yeah, let's see from there. I mean, you went on last week, Imran. So where are you at on the whole Super League thing? Oh, it's, it's garbage. Um, before, I, before, <laughs> before I got more into that, who do we think that we would have pulled out if other no. clubs have pulled out? Because I genuinely no, don't. Not a chance. I don't. Not a we chance. started it. Yeah. Genuinely, we started it. If you don't think we were absolutely. And also, the other hilarious part about this is now the kind of Ed Woodward resigning, the PR spin that was put on that, that he somehow oh. didn't know about the Super League, and then the counter. PR spin to say, wait, he was there at the very first meeting, you know, and was <laughs> instrumental in the whole thing. You know, you, you just can't accept anything. But no, there's one truth that I hold very close in this week, and that is that Manchester United, through the Glazers, through Edward Woodward, through our business model, was absolutely front and centre. And if that, we we would have hoped that that was going ahead. Oh, yeah. As I think nearly, I think there's very few of those clubs who initially signed up who wouldn't. Mm. And I do think the ones that pulled out first in terms of your cities and your Chelsea's, you know they're in a different position to everyone. Yeah, you know they're 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 new money. You know they're they are not the Manchester United that can go through the cyclical damage of not just having Alex Ferguson, etc. You know Liverpool United have much more recent history in terms of being out of the club and therefore have much more motivation to want to kind of pull up the door behind them as. Well, that, that would be the motivation of the owners, essentially. But yeah, we were we were we were organizing that whole thing. We're up there. I mean, we just haven't quite committed as hard to Perez's pantomime villain shtick. No. You know, so we're still trying to salvage some kind. But at least he's being he's living his truth at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? Which I can respect. But the Woodward thing is just that the we are meant to buy the the story is we are meant to buy that Woodward resigned from the um, European Committee coincidentally on the same time that Super League was announced. Yeah. That's a coincidence. He knew yeah. nothing about it. Just randomly, he decided to resign yeah. that same day. And then when he knew nothing about it, and now he's resigned from United, Not nothing to do with that. Like, this is... It's, yeah. it's, I cannot understand. In possibly the most successful season in his current tenure, I, you know? They must <laughs> think we're idiots to believe any of that shite. So, I mean... They do. They do think we're idiots, yeah. though. They treat us like customers, which I suppose technically we are, but they treat us like idiots. Well, and it's, it, that's the worst thing. My thing on this is I don't even think they treat us like idiots. We don't enter their thinking until we are forced to, if you know what I mean. I, I honestly don't think they countenance what – they just don't care. You know, it's not that they think those, those fans are stupid, they'll swallow this. They just think, sorry, what? Like, I make the decisions here. Fans don't matter. We will always have fans. And if, if some fans go away, we'll get loads of new ones. Like, Actually, I to just, be fair, I think you're right. I think you're bang I, on. I just don't think it's. I don't think they're trying to slip one past you. You know, I just don't think they value in any way, shape, or form us. You know, what I noticed was that a lot of the fans that were on Red Cafe at the time that were not necessarily in support of the Super League, but the ones that were trying to be on the fence regarding it, most of which had come from, um, and I mean no disrespect, but they come from America or Canada or the areas where. Um, these non-relegation big franchise leagues, NFL, NBA, well, like, NHL, come from, and th- so it's yeah, the understanding I, for me. Yeah, Ben, I know you're a fan of NFL as well. Like I watch loads yeah. of American sports. There's there's value in those models, you know. In oh the yeah, sense of course. That, you know, you have people. There's a there's kind of a false comparison being drawn where these kind of franchise te- franchise team term, which I kind of pointed out last week. The NFL has 32 teams. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not that there's 12 that are promoted to this higher level. You know, and they all then have to rely on the collegiate system and some have good owners, some have bad owners. But there's a lot of peaks and troughs and teams can rise and fall very quickly. So there is actually a lot of movement in terms of quality. There are teams that dominate and do very well through extremely good cultures, organizations, and as I say, mainly owners, and also perhaps having, you know, one star player for 10 years or whatever. But broadly, you can have teams come out of nowhere just by tanking the season before. So that's actually 
in some senses, a model that is much more focused on equality than even our current model, you know, where you have the historic big boys who will always be, will always have the riches, regardless of whether Super League goes forward or not. So sometimes I find those comparisons around the Americanization of football, you know, a bit misplaced because it's actually just the model is the model that's best for the owners to secure as much money per mm. year and as much growth, yeah. success, and as much control. Essentially, it's not about creating some kind of different system insofar as it's just whichever system gives them the most security in terms of their revenue stream. That's it. Well, I think the, the comparisons are mainly there be due, only due to the non-relegation, non-promotion yeah. that we're not used to. You know, I yeah. think there are, there are certain things from the American leagues, specifically the NFL, that I really like. The salary cap, for example, for each club, which is the yeah. same, it, that that's that's a good model. That makes yeah. it a, fa- a yeah. fairer playing field for me. So there are things that we can learn and take from other leagues and other countries absolutely it's just moving the entire game the entire sport and everything no that's not for me but would one of those policies ever in football be a certain amount of money goes back into the club not a chance no (laughs) no yeah that's true yeah um but at least woodward's gone so you know i mean there are silver linings i mean that is a a big win that is a big win i mean i really hope we get we get to see behind the curtain kind of thing of woodward at united because there's so much like there's obviously so much negativity from the fans' perspective. And I've always wondered, as incompetent as he's been seen to be, that's what we all think, I always kind of wondered, you know, is he this kind of villain that's held up? Because he's just the face of it. You know, is he literally the person making all these decisions, taking all these bad turns, and kind of leading us further into the desert post-Fergie as he's kind of painted out to be? And I always kind of thought, do you know what, maybe he's not. Like, I always kind of thought, you can't be in that position and be as much of a a buffoon as he is painted out to be essentially and i'm really interested to see in the kind of coming you know months and probably in the next year and stuff the kind of the lid lifted for a bit of a look into what was actually going on at united during his tenure i think with woodward he was very very good at making money wasn't he sponsorship deals Mm -hmm. commercial deals everything i think that's why he was put in place and most of the criticism for united fans came from the fact that he wasn't a football man so to speak So he didn't understand when we were crying out, for example, for a centre midfielder for so many years. The criticism, I think, came from the fact that we didn't trust Edward Wood to go out and pick a decent centre midfielder that would fill the void. But did we we even at that time think that was Woodward's sole job and that there was no one else who had any input on that? That there was, I know we've now got this panel and this new system, but it seemed like for a while that, you know, the, the narrative sometimes that it's just Woodward had complete autonomy to say, we're getting that guy, we're not getting that guy, I'm going to handle transfers via Matt Judge and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what I'm interested in to see if he if he wielded the, as much power, I think, as we actually were led to believe, you know? I mean, there has been now, like, already, as well as these leaks about Woodward distancing himself from the Super League, there was some stories coming out now where he starts blaming Louis van Gaal for a lot of things and saying, oh, you know, Louis van Gaal was given too much choices about who's... Whereas Louis van Gaal, on the opposite, has said, I was given choices number three, four and five on my list of players I wanted while I was there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, completely the opposite. But, yeah, I'm sure over time we will hear more things coming out because he's obviously got a PR team behind him he'll be looking for his next job let's not get too excited though because he's not leaving till the end of the year not even the end of the season i mean i'll take what so I can get. there's still i'm still i'm still hoping that's brought forward like i just don't understand why the end of the year like that I mean, yeah. it's that that that's the final proof that we are a business and not a football club it makes no sense so he's gonna leave the january transfer window like it's just bizarre like the only thing i could think of is he wants to leave a legacy of something that is an ineptitude so he thinks this yeah. summer i can maybe 
put roses <laughs> on my grave kind of thing and just make yeah, everyone think get, I'm get actually a statue or something. Yeah, like yeah, and put, like, yeah. put something down there that everyone thinks. Because honestly, I mean, if he was to leave now, he would just leave, what, eight years of just being an idiot, really. And like, there's so many stories you could pull up. But ultimately, I always go back to the fact that most journalists don't really have, unless he's paid them to say nice things about him, don't really have nice things to say about yeah. him. Like, yeah. and you just you just hear rumors and stories of him just not being very good at the football side of things, and that's kind of what you'll leave with. The other very interesting story that came out was that Ed Woodward met Boris Johnson last week. Yeah. Like, yeah, you mean Boris Johnson before... lied about something? No, can't, can't be, can't be. Well, no, well, that I, must I, be the I most trustworthy meeting in the world, must not it? <laughs> well, no, that was it, Ben. On the last show, I said, you know, I felt quite uncomfortable last week that I was aligning myself with Boris Johnson being against anything. Uh, but you know, it was a positive thing that even if it is just for spin for PR, that the government came out very strongly against the Super League and said they would drop a, in their words, a legislative bomb to do everything they could from stop it from happening. And there has been now promises for a full kind of review of football regulation. And this, for me, is the most important bit that comes out of all this. Because, you know, at the moment, we're seeing a lot of fran protests, people are celebrating. But if there's no, like, long-term change, then the whole thing is pointless and for nothing. Uh, so, you know, there's things being talked about, the 50 plus one rules that are in Germany and and things like that. I mean, again, like, you know, you, like I say, see these things from both sides of the perspective, Manchester United at the top of the pyramid, and then all the way back down to like non-league at Weymouth. Um, And for me, it's quite encouraging that the government are talking about it, at least, like, I'm still dubious about whether anything will happen. But, uh, you know, posted out things like there, I think it's still there's, I'm sure there's a lot of cynical people who say, look, nothing is going to happen here. But I think that this is the best time where fans should keep protesting. There's petitions out there write to your MP because look if anything is going to happen like now is the time uh, and yeah I don't think there is any chance of us going to something like that 50 plus one rule because we've gone way too far the other way to ever go back to something like that how would you enforce it yeah when you've when you've got people that have put billions hundreds of millions of pounds into a football club how do you force them to walk away yeah i totally and just to say like you know i know some people out there maybe not as clued up and i saw some questions going around on twitter people saying look what is 50 plus one uh so yeah we're talking about the structure of football in germany in the bundesliga and it started in the 90s where they basically decided that there's going to protect uh, 51% of the club will be kind of, it's not exactly in the ownership of the fans, but the fans have the majority say and any kind of outside investment that comes in are minority investors maximum 49%. So there is still money that comes into Bayern Munich from big sponsors and many clubs are still funded with investment, but fans still ultimately have the say and that's exactly why Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund did not put their names down for joining this Super League. Um, but yeah, the problem for us is like you say that now at Manchester United uh, like a general valuation people are saying maybe the Glazers are interested to sell and we're talking about a four billion pound valuation so that means that somebody's going to have to come up with two billion pounds from somewhere if we want to say 50 percent of it has to be protected I mean do you think that's realistic Cole? No not not uh, in a month of Sundays I think the key line of that whole sentence which was all completely accurate was in the 90s that's when the buttons they get implemented this. And, you know, before the absolute boom in terms of capitalization and the total, you know, absolute like skyrocketing of money in football. And and that was the time to do it. And that shows immense foresight. And it's worked not perfect, but it's worked extremely well and they're in that position. You know, 
it's, it's like trying to put toothpaste back in, in the tub. It, it, it can't be done. It just can't be done. You just make a mess. So that's the situation we're in. We have to try and impact the finances of football in a way that is relative to the situation we are actually in. And I actually, are, you know, the funny thing is that some of the American models that we've already discussed are actually probably the best way of doing that now, you know, in terms of, I mean, fans for play, you know, we're talking about this with UEFA and how UEFA are just not even any better than the rest. And they have let all these people in and built this system and then even built the system to kind of fix it and made that a complete toothless tiger as well. But for me, it's, it's you're so far down the garden path with it that there's just there's just no route back to this footballing u- utopia that we all kind of think is possible. For me, the big one would be not even our club, but other clubs and getting this like fit and proper person test sorted out. And just, I think really more has to be done about who the FA or the Football League are letting own these clubs. And I mean, we've yeah. seen terrible ownerships at what, like Blackburn, uh, even like Newcastle with Ashley. Like, I mean, he'd probably pass one now, but he's, he's just an idiot. And the more you let these people in, the more the game goes to pot. And if we let the Glazers, if the Glazers go, like if, if there is truth to the talk that they're possibly leaning towards selling, and obviously that's where a lot of the protesting is focused now in terms of Glazers out, which I don't, I, I do support that. But I also live in fear of who's next. I've seen this a lot. Um, it doesn't get reported as often outside of the the top two leagues in this country. But I mentioned it earlier on. You look at Bury, who were the first team expelled from the Football League since 1992. The ones before that were Mason United. I mean, they're still a league below Weymouth on their way back. You look at AFC Wimbledon, the, uh, allowing an owner to pick up a club, essentially and move them 70 miles down the road because they didn't think they had the amount of income and resources at at Wimbledon to buy grounds and things. You look at the National League that Weymouth are in at the moment, you look at the ex-football league clubs that are in there, you've got Stockport County, you've got Hartlepool United, Notts County, Torquay United, Yeovil, all ex-football league clubs that have been, you know, been there, done it. And Notts County, one of the oldest, are the oldest professional club in the world. Um, So you look at it and you look at these owners coming in and it doesn't get mentioned a great deal outside of the top two, but what it, happens is that they're they don't they're not under the same fit and proper tests in lower league so it allows people to come in and just do what they want when weymouth in 2007 when weymouth almost and i do mean almost went bust they were allowed to be bought by a property developer who was allowed to sell the land around our ground for a half of the price to his own company unchallenged and when eventually the fan ownership managed to get in there and get him out the only way they he'd be allowed them to buy the ground back was if there was no legal action on the original sale they're the kind of people that were allowed right up until the fit and proper test into football and this fit and proper test for ownership it's not good enough and it's designed just to uh, have something in there to say as it turns out, yeah, we have checked. He's fine. He's yeah, not going to break yeah. the rules. But that's not how it works. And we're not in a realistic world. Yeah, that fits in property. I think as far as I understand, more or less, it's just basically, is this person a criminal? <laughs> yes, no. And if they're not, it's like, this. fine. Let's go ahead with it. And it's like, are, maybe. Like... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Criminal, you know? criminal in the strictest possible definition, i.e. possessing a conviction. <laughs> Has he murdered someone? Yeah. But then like you say about criminal action, to me, the, the owner of Bury that allowed a football, uh, four or 5,000 football fans who go to football each week in, week out, to not have a club to support and steal the club that's under them, essentially, to me, that's a crime. That's, that's a disgrace. That 90 minutes against Leeds was a crime. <laughs> Also, I Nick. also agree with that. Nick went for the DVD of this game. <laughs> well, apart from Nick, Nick loved it, yeah. 
Um, yeah, look, morally, you're absolutely right. I mean, the problem is, though, that, you know, when somebody owns a business, that's the problem. The laws of our country say somebody else can buy that business without that many checks on it. And by the time the Football League get involved and start checking things, then often things are already too late uh, to do anything about it. Yeah. And that's why I said, even though I don't think that we're ever going to see the 50 plus rule come in in England, there can still be some regulatory change for the yeah. better. And, you know, that's why I would say people do keep pushing, do fill out petitions, do write to your MP because they can make a difference. And go to your local club. Yeah, well, that's a good. That's always a good thing. But a lot of the things this week has been like, and we're we're as guilty as anyone. It's kind of the vilification of money and football. And money and football isn't inherently a bad thing. Money and football is the reason why the Premier League is so good. Why Manchester United are so amazing to watch. Why we now have so many big teams in England. And um, even compared to those in Europe and stuff, it's why the stadiums are so amazing. And why you know money is good. You want to drive money into the game. It just has to be done responsibly and sensibly and even if that is coming from you know a state-owned person essentially or an oligarch or whatever there can still be regulatory mechanisms in place to make sure that at the baseline a club can't act as a succubus for someone else's wealth essentially or can't get to a point where it ceases to exist and whether it's 2,000 or 20,000 or 200,000 people have something that's very dear to them just absolutely dissolved before their eyes you know the thing is I make money in football I work in football so ultimately I can't criticize there being money in football but as you quite rightly say it's the way that it's used and it's the the way it's being used at the moment in my opinion is to drive fans away from football and it it should be used the other way I'm not saying that they want to completely get rid of supporters and fans and the working class in football but what i am saying is that they're pricing the everyday supporters out so if the the four of us for example if we were regulars at old trafford and we decided you know what i've had enough of paying this our four tickets would be snapped up before we'd even left our houses they'd they'd be sold and four other people would go in there and they'd more than more than likely they're the ones who would go around the club shop and spend 200 pounds on shirts and things because they're on a day out they're the fans now that, that they want to be attracted into big corporate clubs and simply because it's about that money and the, the feeling and, uh, of your four regulars, your seasons are getting holders, that, that feeling has gone. Legacy yeah, fans. Your yeah. legacy fans, yeah. They're, they don't care about them Boring. anymore. They want them out because they can make more money from the, the day trippers, which isn't a term I like, incidentally, but it, it's, you know, th- those sort of supporters that will go once every 10 years. They'll spend £250 and the owners are delighted. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, in, you know, as we talk about yesterday, there was a protest at Old Trafford. There was a pretty good turnout. And yeah, I personally think, you know, that's a good thing just for publicity, for showing like the government that, you know, people are interested because that's the only time governments and MPs do anything when they think it's going to be popular and people will then vote for them. Uh, so it is important to keep these kind of things on. But yeah, it's a good point you make, Ben, because now you hear a lot of people saying, well, we should boycott and, uh, you know, this is how we can force the Glazers out. To me, to be honest, in this year of all years where we've seen empty stadia and that football still goes on and that, OK, maybe some of the clubs are struggling with money here and there, but they're not going bankrupt. They're still surviving. Maybe transfer budgets are low, but it's kind of has shown that these football will still keep going on even without fans there. That's the sad reality. Um, you know, it's sad to say, but that is the proof has been the last year that it, it really is the TV money, it is the commercial money that really keeps it all going. Well, I mean, I've, as you said earlier, I've been on both sides of it. So I've been watching United on the TV with an empty Old Trafford or whichever ground they're in. But conversely, I've been commentating in an empty Bob Lucas stadium, which is Weymouth's ground. And the comparisons are 
chalk and cheese because United could survive quite happily without any fans in the ground for the next, I'd say, three, four years because they've got the television money, they get the sponsorship, the corporates and stuff. Weymouth's only source of income right now is nine ninety nine for every home game on a live stream. Yeah. So having an empty stadium around... We've got we, there's there's no food being sold, no coffee, no alcohol, nothing like that. There is no programs. The only source of income they've got are those live streams. It's chalk and cheese. Yeah, and it is so interesting to compare the difference. Like I say, at one end of the pyramid to the other end, on how it all goes. Uh, I mean, I actually I don't follow it so much anymore. But when I before I used to managed to get the season ticket to go to Old Trafford. I did used to go and watch my local team that was Old Trium FC, who I think are now in the same division as your team, Weymouth, right? Uh, yeah, and, uh, we're playing each other in a couple of weeks, funnily enough. Oh, right. Okay. For me, yeah, look, I still call that the GM Voxel Conference. <laughs> uh, you know, when, and what things are called nowadays. Yeah, for me, I still remember that. And yeah, I actually remember really enjoying it. I remember like back in those days, Old Trium were like a few matches from maybe going into the Football League back at that time. Uh, and but you know then finally I managed after waiting list to get a season ticket Old Trafford and I did still go to the odd Altrium game here and there but I, to be honest I haven't been for a long long time uh, so to see things from the other end and hear the stories of how things are going over there is always interesting well this is what I would encourage everybody that listens today if you are disillusioned with the Premier League football I know fans aren't there at the moment but if you're disillusioned with these big clubs go and give your local club a tenner go, go and take in a game spend an afternoon there if you don't enjoy it you don't enjoy it but at least the money will go to a club that needs it a good well hard-working club and who's a center of the community go and check out your local club instead of sitting on watching sky sports and paying 25 pound a month or however much any northern irish listeners uh, i'd highly recommend warren point fc fantastic local team i think you said you were i think everyone if you go to your local team and just take in a match you'll really enjoy it it's, it's a different experience 100 anything you'll get in the Premier League. It's really local community and just a, a, a good view, right close-up view of some good crunching tackles. Another... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. that's another... That is another very important point. There is no VAR in lower yeah. league football. Please go and check out your local team. That's probably the best thing about the Leeds game. Yeah, that's true. Today. Was, yeah, that's no true. VAR, yeah. you know? well, that's, that's only because the officials didn't want to watch anything again. Yeah. If, we, if we were going by the, the West Ham laws of getting sent off kicking a football there could have been about five red cars yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so yeah look like I say it is very interesting Ben and yeah maybe we'll try and get you on again to talk a bit more like I say these I actually especially with the match today I find these kind of conversations around football the politics of it the structure absolutely you know are more interesting uh, you know but um, we will move on and talk about our next match because yeah it's quite a big one before that I do want to give a shout out to our sponsors Manscaped uh, I'm sure all our regular listeners know the drill by now um but yeah maybe maybe ben you can go and check these things out i know that call me and myself have had a try on over there but yeah manscape.com for your all your below the belt grooming needs and um, they've been working very well as well with the cancer uh, testicular cancer society which i think is a great matchup and yeah everybody out there the promotion is yeah do check yourself once a month find anything out there contact your doctors um but yeah manscape are doing some great stuff go and check out the website and united hour code will get you 20 percent off as usual um and yeah i also want to thank again the people who've joined on our patreon this week uh, there's always a trickle through over there if anybody wants to come and join in on the match day discord just yeah if you haven't seen the code to join over there drop us a line 
and yeah all the support for the show helps us out and like you say this is all part as well off uh you know we are part of like football and money now and yeah we actually need kind of funds now and again to cover things and i know ben you what just you can talk a little bit more about you're actually do commentating work for Weymouth FC, right? Uh, that's right. I'm a semi-professional commentator. I started with Weymouth a couple of years ago doing, uh, we call it radio commentary, but it's online through the Mixlr um, platform that they have there. Uh, towards the end of the last season, when the playoffs um, came through, I was asked to work for BT Sport and Sport Radio to do the telev- televised playoff games, which I quite happily did. And a uh, big thank you to everyone on Red Cafe who bought the streams as well, because they were very supportive. Um, and then ever since then, I've been working on the live stream. Recently, I picked up a job uh, working for a Czech company and I've covered Europa League uh, internationals, um, a couple of championship games and most recently the FA Cup semi-final a couple of weeks ago, which was fantastic fun. Uh, and I've got a radio documentary that I'm in the process of writing and recording, which will be coming out hopefully on the 1st of May, but I'm just going to get a little plug in now. So thanks for that. What's your Twitter handle for everyone yeah, to follow you? At Ben Ashelford one my surname spelled A-S-H-E-L-F-O-R-D. Ben, I thought uh, I've listened to a few of your women's streams and I always thought it was absolutely superb. I absolutely tip my hat to you for um, doing something that I think not a lot of people would even see a route into um and it's something that as football lovers we all kind of value good commentary and yet um you kind of only think of the people who are established you know it doesn't necessarily think like something people would go out and do i found your commentary it was what i would call like proper good radio commentary where you kind of describe everything you know and, and that's the commentary that i really enjoy i think now there's like a new model of going towards just kind of have a chat you know with all these kind of uh, your jamie carragers and your nevels just discussing all the topics of the day basically but i like that really descriptive actual you know it seems like people don't actually commentate in the game anymore it is very much just like current events to chat and stuff like that and uh, i always thought it was really good thoroughly enjoyed it thank you very much i'll tell you a quick story on how i decided to get involved in commentary quickly because it goes along with what you've just said weymouth qualified for the playoffs three years ago and they were away to kings lynn i couldn't travel i I had my daughter i think and i couldn't travel but they were doing the same sort of commentary online so i tuned in i've got myself i've got a beer and i'm nervous playoff semi-final every time kings lynn had the ball the commentary was exemplary it was really good when we had the ball they had a chat I had no idea what was going on. Like, Weymouth had had three shots on on goal at one point, according to the stats I could see. I hadn't heard any of them. And after a few more beers, we got beat 3-0. After a few more beers, that's when I emailed the club and asked if I could give it a try. I had a, I had a five-year plan in, in order to get a paid job within that five years. I've done it inside two. So I'm really happy with where I go. But it's due to poor commentary that I just try my absolute hardest. I wouldn't say I'm great, but... I love doing what I do. I love the fact that people seem to enjoy it. And I'm just very honoured and privileged to, to do that for a living. So thank you. Yeah, no, and we'll definitely give you some shout outs online so people can go and check out what you're doing over there. Uh, and yeah, I think it actually is a good segue into finishing all the news about what's gone on this week and move on to the Europa League. Because what you said, you've been involved in some kind of Europa League commentary. I did. I did the, I've done a round of 16 tie and a quarter final tie. Sadly, I never got assigned United yet, as of yet. And the most annoying thing for me is I got assigned the Leicester Southampton FA Cup semi-final. And of course, United didn't turn up against Leicester, did they? So yeah. uh, I'm still waiting to do a United Because we were focused but... on the Europa League. Exactly. <laughs> ironically, which I haven't got this week, which is really <laughs> even more annoying. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think I, I'm, I, I'm always nervous about Europa uh, semi-finals, but 
Oli seems to have a problem in semi-finals, and I don't know how to address it. Roma are a good side. Yeah, I mean, look, okay, we've got Roma coming up at home first. Um, on paper, it's like funny because in our last round we had Granada, and I said at the time they're not even as good as Real Sociedad, who we've already beaten. And this time we're playing Roma, who are not even as good as AC Milan that we beat two rounds ago. So really, we should be winning this tie, and we should be winning it relatively easily. But it is a semi-final. There is, of course, this kind of thing now about the fact that Ole has not managed to progress in four semi-finals. This is going to be the one, surely, right, Imran? This is going to be the time that we finally break that and say, look, we can do this. Yeah, I think I can't see us not progressing now. Um, put that hooded to bed. I think Ole is probably determined on the team as well to get that behind them. I actually think if we had played Sevilla over two legs... Um, instead of the one we probably would have progressed against them. So it's it's little things like that that kind of go against you. But I do think with Rome, where Roma are, the, the form, excluding today, but the form we're in, uh, and even like today you could tell probably Ole maybe did have one eye on that game with Cavani not starting and Pogba not starting. So yeah, I would I would expect United to, to win. I can actually see it, the home game being a bit tight, um, just for us not wanting to give that, that away goal away. Um, so it could be a bit of a dour game potentially and I do think we're obviously very comfortable going away from home these days anyway so I wouldn't be surprised if this was a, not the most exciting game in the world but maybe a, a, a little one nil cheeky win yeah I mean I'm absolutely expecting Roma to come and defend uh, I think we're not sure whether Chris Smalling is going to be available or not he has Apparently been he isn't is he but I don't know I actually read that maybe he has just come back from injury just in time but he's not played much football recently so even if he is fit whether he's match fit is another question he's playing as we speak oh well, uh, there I you just go. decided oh, well, I, there you go. I just decided to go and check the score Roma haven't just won scored in- a hat-trick. They haven't won in three, and they're currently one 0 down away to Cagliari. There you go. Uh, small, small in his playing in the heart of defence. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good that we've got our football professional here I, to I, get us the up to date information. I know he's a key player for them, so maybe we should be, you know, not wanting him to play. But I would absolutely want to see Small in back at Old Trafford playing agreed, for Roma. Agreed. You know, it's, agreed. it's been a great story there. Um, I think he served the club unbelievably well, and there's a lot of the fan base who think he probably should still be here, and that that's been vindicated in Italy. Um, but I thought he acted with complete class and I was actually appreciative of the club and only allowing him to go in because, you know, it's easy to play keep ball sometimes with players, do you know what I mean? And just, you know, we don't actually have to get rid of them as proven by Phil Jones' continued existence at Manchester United. But I'd be keen to see him back. Well, there, that's actually one of the big shames, Com, that we're not going to see a reunion of Sporting and Jones <laughs> yeah. on the pitch. That <laughs> is the like, real sad thing over Well, here. you don't know. You <laughs> don't know. You know, he played Dan James today against Leeds, so maybe Ole will just get sucked into that narrative. Um, but yeah, I doubt it. Um, I also think we'll be quite comfortable. I just particularly over two legs but I think we might just blow them away in both to be honest um, it, we're just a better team and I also think the Ole and semi-finals thing is is kind of overblown I still think it's more impressive to consistently get to quarters and semis in all these competitions than it is negative to go out at the same time because like it's cup it's cup football at the end of the day any team can go out at any time and equally under Ole, we've seen ourselves be a super defensive counter-attacking team that achieved great success beyond its means against big teams. And now we don't really play that way, except in very specific situations. And we actually have moved toward being a team that actually goes toe-to-toe and believes in itself and has the ability to play these teams. And that has obviously resulted in a mixed bag of performances in these big games. But it's the right path that we're on. And I think hopefully this will be the start of establishing that kind of confidence that no look it's just a semi-final we're a better team 
let's go win and then we'll see what happens in the final. Roma play a really bizarre system which starts with a three at the back and four in midfield. What I'd like to see is probably two very quick players playing down the wing and I think you know it can get in behind um, quite easily and knowing that Chris Smalling's the the figurehead of the centre-half position you, you think that the players would know him and, and could get in behind him. I'm I, <laughs> I'm not anticipating too many issues, but I think that, you know, it'll try and get the job done at Old Trafford on Thursday and potentially make changes in the return leg away. Yeah, because in the middle, we, of course, have a match against Liverpool. Uh, So, yeah, they're not in great form either. But whenever you play them, it's something to be thinking about as well. Uh, And, yeah, well, let's not forget, apart from Smalling, there will also be Henrik Mkhitaryan returning. Yo, he he was great for us in the Europa League that, that one that's year, about right? It. He, he was, I always like, thought he was. Yeah, I always yeah. thought he was terrible. I always Lux- thought luxury was, purchase. I, 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 yeah, he I wasn't good for really us. Really disliked Mkhitaryan. I thought he was a dreadful, dreadful footballer. <laughs> I mean, I did think it was very nice of Arsenal to take our garbage off. Well, they're beating like, Sanchez yeah. off them, so you know who, yeah, who, who exactly. lost. That, that whole thing should just be consigned and forgotten to history. Like you, the, the less that gets I, brought up, the I can't do that, Colm, I'm afraid <laughs> Sanchez scored a goal at Wembley in an FA Cup semi-final, 15 yards in front of me. I'll never forget that he paid for it. I like to think of him now as just an inter player. So. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, there will also be Edin Zeko over there. Mm. And really, when you're looking at these kind of players who are essentially rejects from the top play- teams in the Premier League, it's why everything points to saying we really have to be going through in this tie. The only thing is kind of saying, are we feeling too comfortable about it? Because yeah, it says Roma are still obviously a decent club. And this will be the biggest thing for them this season. Because as you say, they're nowhere near qualifying for the Champions League. I think they're something like ninth or even like that in Serie A at the moment and so yeah they need to really be they're going to be going all in on this Europa League it is their only chance to be going into Champions League next season Uh, whereas we do of course have the luxury of being relatively comfortable in the top four now but yeah I think that we're at the point now where we should be totally focusing on the Europa League yeah Uh, you know the way other results are going leaving us feeling not you know it's not dusted mathematically well, top four is, but I was saying more like second place maybe I is think not done to, Top dusted, four, we only need two more wins, I think, to guarantee it. I think second, we only need about three or four. I think it's... If we lose second from here, it would be astonishing. I, I can't see it happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get the... I, I didn't get the, the selection for the FA Cup. I, I thought we should have been going FA Cup in Europa League for me, mm. personally, but I don't get paid to make those decisions and Ollie wanted to go that way. Uh, for me... The league's over, let's focus, let's put all of our eggs in the Europa League basket yeah. and try and bring some silverware home. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, the nil-nil today kind of puts paid any of the even 1% talk about City collapse and us coming back for winning the league that had started some chat on, but I think we'd all kind of dismissed that ourselves anyway. But as I say, the draw today means that, yeah, it's not even something that we should be chatting about. So yeah, we are hoping that this is going to be... Uh, a relatively easy win. It's never going to be in a semi-final. And then, yeah, Liverpool will roll on. And then, yeah, we will have the away Roma leg then as well. Um, we, I'm sure we may come back after that Roma match. Or we always do find it a bit difficult after those late kind of midweekers to record and turn it round before coming back out. But, yeah, let's see uh, if you're lucky we might. But, of course, for sure, we will be back after that Liverpool match. Um, yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Ben. I'm sure we'll try and get you on again at some point to see what's going on there. Good luck with all the commentating jobs and yeah, good luck to Weymouth over there, but 
not not good luck when you play in Altrium because yeah, look out for that result as uh, back uh, going back to my history. Uh, where, where are Weymouth in the league at the moment? Uh, one place outside the relegation zone. There's no relegation, of course, this year. But so, but we want to stay up on on what would have been merit. So we want to stay out of the bottom three. Um, oh, so there's no relegation. No so you've relegation. Full on Super League. Yeah. You're like throwing. You everybody's protected yeah. over there. Ironically, <laughs> COVID has actually been quite good to Weymouth because the season last year was curtailed, meaning that we finished third and entered the playoffs we ended up winning the playoffs without crowds in and then relegation from the league below was stopped as they became null and void so we couldn't go down anyway so we've actually benefited quite nicely from covid to be to be honest with you but no Altrincham are only a couple of places above us as well we drew nil nil at moss lane in the uh, the opening day of the season and i'm fairly sure we'll put two or three past them in a couple of weeks unfortunately they might put four or five past us i don't know yet so <laughs> yeah no i will look out for that result now but yeah you can definitely remind me when it's coming round. and what will you actually commentate on that game I, and I'll, I'll definitely yeah. like i say it's been a long time since i've followed an altrium match but i went to several several games of them like back in like early 90s and things uh, like that, that goes back to my earlier point nick it will cost you 9.99 but the money will go directly <laughs> to the club and yes you can hear my dulcet to- tones on commentary if you decide to buy the stream okay all right i will definitely try and check that out um yeah so look that's uh, it from us for this week uh, as we say we don't think this is going away and it'll be a constant thing we'll come back and talk about roma coming up liverpool uh, just wanted to give a mention that there is another fan protest planned before that liverpool game so if you're in around manchester show up over there because i think the publicity for these things can make a difference to the government trying to do some actual real change to football um yeah i think that's about it for now let's fingers crossed for coming into the semi-final and let's hope it'll be a positive podcast for the next one uh unless anybody's got anything to add i think that's going to be yeah good night for today cheerio cheers thank you Podcast Network.